Good morning. It's good to be with you uh, this morning, and I'm excited to share. You know, two weeks off is a long time for preachers, so delay any lunch plans you have. We may be at it a while, you know. Uh, I'm grateful for our, our worship team, pra- praise team, and all that are preparing for our uh, services ahead and all that's ahead. We're, we're excited for the different ways God calls us together and touches our hearts. And I want to share more about that this morning. Uh, through this transition of what's ahead, uh, some good news that I think this is for our church in terms of who we are, our makeup. And this has to do with us as generations as well. And that's what we're concluding is a, a three-week series talking about generations and the different ways we engage faith, but also the important part of passing on that baton of faith that is so important. We cannot miss this handoff to the next generation. Amen? And that's what this series has been about is what does it mean to be different generations all in the same church? And I hope these have been hopeful messages for you, and I'm excited to bring uh, a close to this series this morning. Let's pray as we uh, open our time in the Word. God, we, uh, we come before you today uh, coming from different uh, places and decades. Uh, we come as a, a body of people that longs to know you better, to, to increase our knowledge, God, but for our hearts to experience you in a deeper way. So God, our longing for relationship, we pray that you would respond by coming close to us, God. We know that so often it's really us who's the one in this relationship that stays away, that is scared away from a closeness that you desire with us. So God, uh, we want to recommit this morning to that close relationship we desire, uh, that the fruit of the Spirit might emerge in our lives and we might be a church full of generations of people that are faithful to you. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our lives, in our hearts. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the greatest challenges that faces the 21st century church. And it's not a a crisis of morality, though the church certainly could talk about that because we've had our challenges. It's not a, a lack of fidelity to the gospel I want to talk about this morning, even though I know we can increase in faith and in our faithfulness. This morning, the challenge I want to talk about is the challenge of being a church of five generations. Because this is a new challenge that the church hasn't faced until about the last century or so. In fact, if you think about it, Paul never had to deal with this challenge because of life expectancy in the era that he lived in. I did some research this week, and I was fascinated by what I found in terms of life expectancy and its growth over the last couple of centuries. But I went and looked, actually, at the first century in the time of Jesus in Palestine. And the average male in Palestine in the first century, the life expectancy was 29 years old. I was shocked by that. I always think of Jesus dying as a a young man, but in that time period, he actually lived past the average age. Now, of course, infant mortality rates have a big deal to do with that life expectancy rate. It doesn't mean that there weren't anybody who lived up to a, in the, into their 50s or 60s, but it was a different time, it was a different era, and the challenges of Jew and Gentile were huge challenges that Paul had to face in the first century. But we're facing a new challenge with the generations that Paul never had to deal with quite in the same way and to the same degree that we do today. Just think about the challenge. Think about the spread of generations we have this morning. We have people in this crowd this morning who were born and remember the Great Depression. 
fact, Wendell Ferguson is here this morning. Wendell is, I think I have this right, 93 years old, is that right? 93 years old. You, wave your hand, Wendell. That's pretty amazing, right? <clears throat> in fact, Wendell's got a birthday coming up in a few months here. I think it's in April, right? So we, we look forward to celebrating 94 this year. But think about Wendell's life and others who are in this crowd as well and all that they've seen in terms of changes, in terms of innovations, the church itself, but culture as well. But then we've got young kids. We've got babies that have been born recently that may be in the room or in our nursery this morning who will never know life without an iPhone. Imagine like Wendell versus that. That's a huge spread of generations, and so much has gone on in that era of time. So this morning I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the different generations who are here, because just a, just a word to the iPhone generation who's here, like the des- decision to have Wi-Fi in our building, that's a, you know, we've had people who've had to deal with a lot bigger challenges than that. Like do we spend church funds on a church parking lot when the cars came around? And then kitchens, and then all these other innovations that come up along the way. Like, it's amazing what's changed in the church. And every generation has to step back up and ask questions about what does it mean to be church in our era? What does it mean to share the never-changing message of the gospel in ways that connect with this generation? Now, so what created this challenge? And it is medical science, really, if we think about it. I shared those ages with you a a little bit ago. I want to share the ages I found. It's not just first century Palestine. Let's go back to 1850 in the United States. In 1850, the average life expectancy for a male in the U.S. in 1850 is 37 years old. I'm sorry, 38 years old. 38 years old. This is 165 years ago. And And a male in 2016, the average life expectancy is 76. Think about that. 38 years old. 76 years old. That's 165 years. For females, it's a little greater in both times. It was 40 years old in 1850 in the United States. Today, it's about 80, 81. That's a huge shift. Basically, life expectancy has doubled in the last 165 years. In fact, if you could put that graph up there right now, this is, I mean, all we know is up and to the right when it comes to life expectancy over the last century and a half. And this changes and it shapes so much in our culture. In fact, I want you to think a little bit about this. Some of you are entrepreneurs out there, and I know I'm going to lose you for the rest of the service because you're thinking, man, there is money to be made with this kind of graph, right? I mean, the changing dynamics of boomers and what that changes in terms of our culture. But I want you to come back to the sermon, you entrepreneurs, because we need you in this conversation. Because one thing you see, the entrepreneurs in the crowd this morning, is that every challenge can also be seen as an opportunity. And I think it's important for the church to see this. This is a challenge. This is something Paul didn't have to deal with. But it's a great opportunity if we have eyes to see it in the ways that we should. So this morning, I want to give you hope. I want to talk to each of the generations a little bit this morning. I really believe this is a new era for the church that can go so well. There's so much opportunity if we have eyes to see. Amen? So today, I want to talk about the challenge and the opportunity of the age diversity we have. And to do that, I want to go back to a passage in Scripture where Jesus talks uh, about this a little bit. It's in uh, Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles with you. If you're the iPhone generation, pull that out as well, that's fine. Uh, Mark chapter 12, and I want to begin reading in verse 28. This isn't a new passage to many of you, and if it is a new passage to you, I want to let you know we're so glad you're here. We need your fresh eyes to the gospel to hear this again in, in a whole new way. And so uh, read along with us as, as you, if you would. This is Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus takes all these commandments from the Old Testament, 613 laws. The question is, what's the most important one? And you've heard this before, right? Love God with everything you have. That's usually how I preach this message, right? All that you have, your heart, soul, mind, strength, but it's all that you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a good generic message. It's part of what our mission is as a church. Every church's mission is to love God and to love our neighbor, right? This is what it means to follow Jesus. But I want to look at more, in more detail at this passage because I think there's more that we can see if we'll dig a little deeper into this passage in Mark 12. And I want to read this through the lens of our generations that I mentioned before because I think our new context allows us to see some things we might have not seen years ago first thing I want to remind you of is this passage. Jesus is drawing from a passage that comes much earlier in Scripture. Moses is uh, saying some words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is a command that comes right out of Deuteronomy 6, way back before they enter into the promised land. He's reminding them, the Lord is one. You've got to remember this. We're a, we're a monotheistic faith. But it's important for us to love God, not just follow His commands, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's important to do that. And Jesus draws on that command. David Fraze mentioned this last week in his sermon. You remember the verse that follows. Impress these commandments on your children. So the original context of Deuteronomy 6 is a passage about passing on faith, the community of faith making sure the baton of faith gets passed on. But I want us to notice another detail, a second point that usually gets passed by when I preach this passage. Usually it's love God with all you have. But let's look again at verse 30 and look at the details about how we're called to love God. Again, Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So how are we to love God? Or maybe a better question, with what are we to love God? And Jesus says, look, it's not just loving God. This is how you're to do it. This is how you should do it. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. And love him with all your strength. Now, this is a study worth coming back to. It's probably a whole sermon series about what that means to follow God in these four ways. But I want us to look at this in light of the generations that we have present this morning, these five generations I've mentioned. And I want to suggest this morning that certain generations come more naturally to love God with certain ones of these uh, four that that Jesus mentions in in Mark chapter 12. That there's a certain predisposition generally in the generations that come naturally in terms of our love of God. Uh, And so this morning, I want to start with some of the older generations. In fact, we have some in our crowd who are part of what Tom Brokaw has called the greatest generation. And you know that definition of the greatest generation, right? Those that lived through the Depression era, those that lived through World War II, there are things that they learned through that time in, in history that shaped them in so many ways, that has shaped their leadership, that has shaped the church. There are gifts that they have to offer, right? What are those gifts? I want to talk about a couple of those this morning. And and to set this up, here's what I want to say. I believe, I would suggest that the ways the greatest generation most naturally serve God or love God most naturally is through loving God with their minds and their strength. 
Now, the greatest generation is known for many things, but one of the things it's known for is for a strong work ethic. When you think about that time period during the Great Depression, many of those in that generation grew up on farms or grew up learning their parents' trade to go on. But think about a whole generation of men going off to war and what would happen to make sure the machine of America keeps going. People had to pick up the slack. There wasn't this choice of if you would work. Work was something that had to be done in order for the nation to go on. And so there's this strong work ethic. It's also a sense of the Great Depression and all that went on there, this sense that some of the kids who were in school had to get jobs. They had to make sure the family got by through work, through ingenuity, through getting it done. And this is, I think, one of the great qualities of the greatest generation. My, great, my grandfather was a member of the, uh, of, the, of the greatest generation. He was a colonel in the Air Force. And uh, I, I just, when I think of my grandfather, I think about a guy who used his hands, a guy who loved God with his strength, but he knew how to fix anything. Like every time he would come out to visit us in California, we had a list of things for him to fix because we couldn't do it. So, you know, if the, if the hinges were squeaky, we knew he was going to come in and take care of that. If, if, if the car needed an oil change, whatever it was. In fact, you know, he broke a bone late in his life because he was climbing up on a barrel to paint the house when he should have had someone else doing that. That's just part of the greatest generation. We're going to take care of this. We're going to do this on our own. And I appreciate that about my grandfather. In fact, it's not a gift I have. The vacuum cleaner goes down, you know, I may take it to the vacuum cleaner repair shop, but most likely if I've had it for a few years, what do we do? We buy a new one, don't we? And that's a difference from the greatest generation to the way things go today. It's partly the way uh, we, we, we market products and all that kind of thing, but it's something that I think was a gift that that generation have. It was using uh, their strength in so many ways. Uh, they also saw what happened uh, when people got caught up in an emotionalism that didn't have the, use their minds. Nazi Germany, you look at the church in Germany, it's amazing to think that a Christian church could be so co-opted by the Nazis that they could just allow what went on to happen under their noses without stepping up and saying anything about it. Because there's something about emotionalism, there's something about mob mentality that can change a whole group of people that can create groupthink. You think about all these men that went overseas that came home and saw the impact of what this emotionalism and this kind of fury that happened in the midst of that, not, not thinking. It was important that keen minds be used to make sure that progress goes on. So I see this gift of not just strength, but I see this gift of the mind that has been given to this generation that was so important. And you think about all the, the impact in the last generation of vaccinations, of of inventions that have come uh, as a result of this generation that came home and got to work. And can't you see the impact of that in our churches? Our churches that were cognitive, logical. Our 1950s churches, were we had it all figured out when it came to doctrine. Our knowledge of Scripture was at a high level at that time. And all of that, I think, goes back to the sense that if we don't use our minds, if we don't have a sense of what Scripture teaches us, we see where that can go wrong if we don't hold to the standards that God has They knew the Bible. They still do. And the greatest generation, we need the resource of their Scripture knowledge. And younger generations, we need to step that up as well, don't we? We were also a a get-it-done movement. The missionary movement in Churches of Christ, much of it began to really grow as a result of the soldiers that came back from overseas and realized there are people who need to know Jesus. And they traveled the world to see that and began to realize, what if we sent missionaries to go do this. It's something that had been done for years in the past, but there was a new surge of missions that became important as a result of seeing the world, seeing the destruction of World War II and saying, we've got to do something about this. And so they came home and they, 
they decided we've got to train missionaries and we've got to raise money for missions and we need to send missionaries out. After the, uh, the, Russia was opened up and the Soviet Union was done away with, it was many of us who began to send our money and send missionaries to Eastern Europe to again share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we support Eastern European missions that became a reality after the wall came down. So much of this happened as a result of this boomer generation forming also the, the, the boomer generation, the, the greatest generation working together. And this was the church that many of you grew up in, isn't it? You know it. It sounds like it. It was a get-it-done movement. It was a, a, a group that loved God with their minds so well. The church reflected these strengths. In fact, many of you who are boomers probably can remember growing up with parents who were part of that greatest generation. And they, they, they expressed their love to you differently than fathers do today in some ways. They weren't so much men of words in the same way that fathers are today. It was their work ethic. It was their sense of, 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 of taking care of us, of doing everything that was needed around the house. Uh, they may not have known how to communicate their love as well as we've been challenged maybe in these generations since then. But you knew deep down they loved you, didn't you? And so there was this strength. It was the, the mind. This is how this generation loved uh, God well with their minds and strengths. Again, naturally, I think this is just generic, gener- generally true of older generations. Are you with me so far? But when I think about my generation, the youngest generation in our church, I, I see different strengths. I see younger generations naturally drawn to loving God with their hearts and their souls. We grew up with parents who developed in us a strong ego. Some would say an overdeveloped ego, right? I mean, we knew our parents loved us, and we had the trophies on the wall to prove it. You know, Jesus Loves Me was written well before our generation, but in a sense, this is the song I grew up with. I knew from the very start that God was a God of love. And from the very beginning, if you hear the language of millennials, if you hear the language of the generation below millennials, you hear this language of wanting to have an experience with God. Not, not just wanting to know about Him in a knowledgeable way, but there's this sense that I, I want to have a feeling that God's actually alive and doing something today. I, I want to have an experience of worship that I'm, I'm drawn into the heart of God, that this isn't just here, it actually moves to the heart. And that's not at all to critique the former generation. I'm just naming what I see in this younger generation. And I'm not sure that an experience with God would have been the language that the greatest generation would have used about their deepest longings. In fact, in many churches, uh, we did everything we could to make sure people didn't have an experience, right? But more and more, we see this desire. And i got to tell you, it, it can be dangerous. On the extremes of emotionalism in this heart-soul sense, there's a danger at the extreme of that. We've seen that, as I mentioned, in terms of mob mentality and in terms of uh, Nazi Germany. There are extremes, David Koresh and Jim Jones. We've seen the extremes of just kind of this heart-led movement without any head associated with it. But I'm here to tell you, there are extremes to the intellectual side of it as well. Because uh, faith isn't checking off a list of doctrines. Faith is a relationship with the living God that comes out in fully formed faith, a life that's fully turned over to Him. And so it's easy to look down on the next generation's desire for this experience and for this relationship. But the greatest generation had its reasons for their forms of faith, as I've described in the war and, 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 and in the, the Great Depression. But I believe that younger generations have reasons for their desire and experience as well. Because many of 
uh, us grew up in churches that got everything right when it came to Scripture. We learned Bible verse after Bible verse. I can quote you song after song of those songs I learned to learn Scripture growing up. And I'm grateful for my retention of that. But some of us grew up with a cold experience when it came to faith. Didn't have a warmth of relationship with God. It, It felt like the rituals were all done, but that's kind of where it ended. Younger Christians know that loving God with our minds is important, but they also know that any institution, if you hold on to that, can really get caught up in problems if they don't have a heart for people in the midst of the the desire of what they're trying to accomplish. You see, science has brought us so much, hasn't it? Just the increase of life expectancy, this up and to the right. We're grateful for that kind of life, aren't we? We're grateful for the inventions that come and what comes from science and ingenuity and technology and all that that strength generation gave to us. But here's the problem. The same science that brought us penicillin brought us the atomic bomb. And this generation grew up in the aftermath of the bloodiest century in the history of the world because as much as we like to believe that the, in the myth of progress that it's inevitable, we know that if our heads and all of our progress isn't tied to a heart for people, it can turn out in some really wrong ways. And this is true when it comes to religion, but it's also true when you look at history. We know that progress isn't inevitable. We're not so sure that institutions can pull off what former generations thought they could. This generation distrusts politicians, which, by the way, isn't just this generation. Can I get an amen? Because they watch debates with a cell phone in their hand fact-checking to see if what's said is actually the reality. Our minds are wonderful gifts, but if we love God with our heads, but our hearts remain unaffected, so much can go wrong, can't it? Jesus actually warned the, the, the Pharisees about this in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 7. This is what he says. He quotes Isaiah from a previous generation. This is what he says in response to those who are concerned about ceremonial cleanings, the Pharisees. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I think we can all in this room say that's not where we want to get to a place to. To where... Uh, it's, it, it's just a head game and it's nothing to do with the heart. No, God calls us, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we come naturally in certain ways to certain ones of these gifts, but it's time for us to continue to grow in the areas we are not full grown in. Matthew 5, verse 8 is another passage where Jesus talks about the, the heart. This is the Beatitudes. It says, They're blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A pure heart is something that one has to cultivate. In fact, in Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, there are nine different times where Jesus refers to the heart as an important and vital piece of making sure it is pure, not just the outward acts, but making sure our hearts are connected as well. Jesus believes we should develop our understanding, love God with all that we have in terms of our minds. But when we do that without connecting our hearts to that process, bad things tend to occur. Because the longest distance in the world is the distance between our heads and our hearts. Don't you know this? I mean, you can go to school and you can gain all that you need to make sure you've got the knowledge to go off and do the task. But what does it take? It takes failure and it takes experience to believe deep down something and know it so that you can pass it on to the next generation. And how many of us, when it comes to faith, we knew all the right things to make a decision to follow Jesus, but that distance between knowing it in our heads and believing it in our hearts, that's a long distance for some of us. Some of us are still trying to sort through, what does it look like to know deep down, to believe with all I have that this is actually true, not just mental assent, 
but a heart that's fully given over to God so we might pursue him with all that we have. Because there's a difference between knowledge and belief. It's possible to memorize the entire Bible while not having our hearts drawn toward God. God is not interested in just taking up space in your head. Because if God doesn't have your heart, what good is your head? And this is that distance that we want to see changed and transformed. As some of us are, are just so heart-driven, we don't even know what it is we're trying to follow. We just want this experience, this feel-good moment when we come together, and that's not enough. And some of us, it's so much easier to come to knowledge and think that we've got it accomplished. But if that doesn't connect with our hearts, we're missing out on something because what Jesus said is still true today. We're called to love God with our hearts, with our souls, with our minds, and with our strength. And this is the completeness of what God calls us to. And so in many churches in our area and around the world, we see a divide that has occurred. We see a divide between young and old. We see a divide between head Christians and between heart Christians. We see a divide when it comes to language. Uh, Some churches have just opted, we're going to go the feel-good route and we're going to express heart and make sure people have an experience. And and other churches are going to make sure that people have Bible and it comes down to that. Uh, And so we divide uh, when it comes to these things and we tend to opt for one over the other. In fact, there was an entire church growth strategy developed in the 1980s around something called the homogeneous unit principle. The homogeneous unit principle is the idea that tribes like to be together. And so if you could not have this diversity of people, if you could just gather a a like-minded group of people of the same race, of the same class, of the same uh, language, of all these different similarities, and you target that group, then you can grow much faster because it's really difficult to keep together a group of people that disagree or differ or, 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 or listen to faith in different ways. And sadly, over the years, there have been churches that have grown to great heights, to great numbers, because they decided we're going to pick a target and we're going to pick that target. We're going to do it as well as we can for that target. And all of a sudden, the people begin to come. The problem is, I don't remember Paul saying to the church in the first century, hey, uh, Jews, if you could develop an east side church, and, and, and Gentiles, if you could create a, a west side church, this will go a lot better. You won't have as many fights, and then, and then you're going to grow much faster as well. And if a Jew just happens to go to the east side church, well, just tell them there's another church on the other side of town. We've not just done this when it's come to theology. We've done this when it's come to race. We've done this when it's come to poverty and wealth. We've done this in all kinds of areas, and it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Diversity is a challenge. Generational diversity, any kind of diversity you want to talk about, it's a challenge to come together when we disagree with one another. But I'll tell you, if you have eyes to see, it can be a great opportunity. It can be a great blessing. Here at Greenville Oaks, we are not opting for the homogeneous unit principle. We're not going to target a younger generation and say, well, the rest of you can go find another place. There are churches that do that, you know. There's churches that actually say, we're going to target the younger demographic and the others, well, they can just go somewhere else. I just came across a church the other day. I was driving through DFW, and on the sign, it read these words, like not on the sign like you would see driving by the cute sayings, that ridiculous sayings you see when you drive by. Etched into the stone of the sign, it said, for seniors age 50 and better. I guess I'm on the worst side of 50, by the way, which I'm excited to get there. But I'm thinking, is that really what we're doing? Are we to the point that we actually are naming who's allowed in and who's not? So instead of creating a church for all people, what we've done is we've created a church for a certain group of people. We target them and we grow faster 
but we lose things in the process, don't we? Five generations is a new challenge that the church is facing. But we can choose to see it as a problem or we can choose to see it as an opportunity. We at Greenville Oaks are choosing to see this as an opportunity. Greenville Oaks is choosing to see the generations that we have spread out, not as something we try to make more simple by cutting off a few on either side, but trying to discover together what does it look like for us to love one another well, to see the gifts that the other generations have, and to come together to see that fully lived out. Because churches that live to reach the younger generation as their target are missing out on some vital things. They're missing out on those 40 and 50 year anniversaries that couples get to celebrate where they get to share the stories of how difficult it was, but we chose to stick together even in the midst of it. They're missing out on people who've rebound their Bibles four or five different times. And those pencil marks from when they were 10 and 12 years old are still in their Bibles. They're missing out on earmarked chapters and a wealth of knowledge passed on from the past. Because this isn't just a thing for new people to come in at and just do it with young people. I'm telling you, we need all of these generations. We need people who've been at this for a while, who've been through suffering, have lost a child, have been through a divorce, and have still held on to their faith in the midst of the most challenging situations of their lives. We need to hear their stories, and we need each and every one of you here. Because it's hard to hold on to faith when you've been through some tough stuff, isn't it? Some of you are are just dangling right now. Keep dangling. Hold on, because it's not so much how tight you hold on, it's the thing you're holding on to, how important and how vital it is. And Jesus Christ can be trusted. We need you to hang on. We need you to tell your stories. But the same thing's true if we just opt for the older generation and we don't see the benefit of the younger generation. We need young Christians who are here who are naive and believe things we've long past forgotten and can't dream about anymore. Who keep pounding the drum of unity even though many of us have been through more church splits than we can imagine. We need young people here who who are picking up Scripture for the first time just this morning. I'm watching as, as Maddox is on the front row, and he's got my Bible. And by the way, every Sunday I preach from this Bible. This is my great-grandfather's Bible. And when he passed away, he passed this on to me. And, and, and every time I prop up my iPad on this Bible, it's a reminder to me that this comes from the past. This isn't a new thing that we're passing on. So Maddox is flipping through this Bible on the front row, and, and for the first time, He's not just got a picture Bible in front of him. He's looking at this, seeing the words, and he's beginning to be able to read. And and he's asking, what are the big numbers? Well, those are chapters in the Bible. And you can actually find your way to certain things that people are talking about if you look at the big numbers. And then there's these small numbers. You can't do that without people who've been around with a Bible to teach others along the way. This is the gift. But you know what Maddox does for us? He has fresh eyes to see stories that we no longer can see in new ways. This is true for new Christians that are among us as well. We need you to read Scripture beside us and remind us why we were so pumped up and excited when we first read these words. Because these words give life and they change people. And we believe this. And sometimes it takes new people around us to remind us of that. We need generations that are going to help us with our strength and our minds. We need it desperately. We need younger generations who are going to help us with our hearts and with our souls. But if I'm honest this morning with you, which most preachers should be, right? All of us should be. Even though I've described this in generalities, there are some of you that don't fit these descriptions. Let's be honest. Some of you older saints, your real heart language when it comes to God is your heart and your soul. And you've been in churches that have been more strength and mind and, and 
it's felt cold for a long time now, and you're excited about the vitality of, of engaging God in worship. You're excited about a relationship with God that you did not have growing up. No one passed that on to you. I want to say that, that just because these may be generally true doesn't mean there aren't individuals. In the same way as I'm a person of the younger generation, and I'm so much more strength in mind than I am heart and soul. But I'm married to someone who gets the heart and soul and couldn't care less about the sermon that's being preached. She cares about the worship. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And I love that. That's what it means to be church together. That's why we don't throw out the sermon. That's why we don't throw out the worship because we all come together in the midst of who we are. And some parts of this service are going to bless some and some songs are going to be songs. You're like, why are we singing a new song again? But all of it when we come together in the midst of generations that couldn't be more different. That is the blessing of the body of Christ. And I want us to hold on to this. Some of you who are older saints around here, my guess is, like in other churches, you may feel as if, what's my use around here? I don't feel like anyone's asking my opinion. I don't feel like I have a place to serve that makes sense. Some of you are, are very plugged in, but I want to tell you this morning, would you come talk to me? Would you come talk to our elders? Would you let us hear that? Because we want to find ways for each and every one of us to serve. You are not done serving. We need you as mentors with some of the younger ones in our church who can tell stories about how you've hung on to faith. I was just sitting down for coffee the other day with one of the guys in our church, and I was hearing about how every, every Sunday he leaves these doors, and he loves being here, but it's hard to go home and not be a part of this community of faith. He loves being here on Sunday morning. I said, there are young guys who need to hear your stories about the divorce you've been through. There are young guys who need to hear the story about how challenging marriage can be, about how difficult holding on to faith can be in the midst of what you're talking about. We need you here. We need your story told. We need you with our young men. Yesterday, I wasn't able to be there. I had a previous engagement. There was a men's breakfast. And to see the pictures of those who showed up, this was not one generation. This was a variety of generations coming together, getting to know new names, hearing stories. That's a beautiful thing. It's what the body of Christ should be. Every Tuesday morning and Tuesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening, there's a group of older moms and younger moms who come together to do the very same thing. We believe in this intergenerational model. We believe this is how transformation happens, and we believe that we are less without the generations who are here. We are better together than apart. And it's easier to love God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths, I believe, together with these generations than it is apart. So let me conclude this series with a word to the younger generation. To those of you who are part of my generation or the ones below, I want to speak this word to you. One of these days, Wendell's not going to be here as the fifth generation. You're going to be the fifth generation. And there's going to be some crazy guy with messed up hair on stage. You're going to say, would he just tuck in his shirt? and Would he, would, would he just get his, this together a little bit? And you're going to be annoyed at the stage renovation that's going to happen. And you're going to be annoyed at the new worship innovations that people are talking about. And you're going to wonder, what's this all about? And I'm here to tell you, it is vital that you remain and hold on to this deposit of faith. What we care about more than passing on the specific forms of church that we're passing on to you is that the main thing becomes the main thing. And the main thing is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The ninth generation needs that message. They're going to need to hear it in different ways, but they're going to need your experience and they're going to need you to pass on that faith. There are all kinds of things that we think are central to the story of Jesus, that we think are the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not the most important thing. This is it. And so don't get stuck in 
the new songs that you like singing right now because one day they're going to be old songs and they're not going to want to sing those either. Hang on to the deposit of faith that's been passed on to you. That's what the rest of us care about most this morning. Amen? We care that this story doesn't end with this fifth generation. We want it to go to the ninth, and we want that ninth to be the fifth generation or sixth by that time. I don't know how this life expectancy thing is going to go, but we want that to happen. That's what the whole series has been about. Bicycles change. Newspapers change. How we get our news and information changes, but one thing remains the same, and it's the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get back to it next week in the story of the cross. The good news is the good news, and it doesn't change. So whatever ways you need to get that across to the ninth generation, we hope you will innovate. We hope you will find whatever it takes to get them to hear this message, but never change the message. Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. Jesus Christ has shown us the best way of life possible. And this life we're trying to pass on to you, you couldn't pick a better route. You're going to have struggles. The promise isn't that suffering won't be around. But those sufferings are important because when you stay in church, when you stay connected to the community of faith, you're able to pass those stories on to your kids. That's what this whole group's about. What we long for more than anything else. This is why it's important, this series, The Generations. I want to just say a word of thanks to those of you who are fifth generation in here. Sorry for how hard it is sometimes to come together, how sometimes our speaker system isn't what it should be. Sorry for the ways that we continue to innovate, but in some ways, isn't this what we all want? It's to pass on this story, to pass on the most important message. And for those of you who are younger in the crowd, would you be patient sometimes? I know I've got to remind myself of this all the time. Sometimes the things we think are so important, they're just peripheral matters. The heart stays the same, and I hope we'll drill this down, these symbols. We'll be back to it as we look at the story of the cross next week. The cross and the resurrection has changed everything close with a prayer this morning. Father, I pray that we would remain faithful to this greatest command your son Jesus reminded us of. We want to be people who love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. And God, I I thank you for the greatest generation and the boomer generation that's among us right now. A people who've passed on faith. A people who've passed on belief. A people who knew Scripture and are wanting desperately for our younger generation to know it. And I pray we would be humble enough as the younger generation to realize the importance of not just our hearts, but also our heads. God, I thank you for those who stand in the middle of these generations. Who act as a bridge generation right now, making difficult decisions about their parents and somehow struggling through the stage of life with their kids, wondering how do we hold this thing together? God, I thank you for the bridge that they're playing, for the ways they care for young and old, for the ways they're passing on this deposit of faith to the youngest among us. God, I thank you for the generations younger than me who are here. Oh, how we're so glad that they're here. God, what we long for more than anything else is the same story we heard growing up. It would be passed on again. They would take it as the primary story that orients their lives. We thank you for their heart and for their souls. And for those of us, God, who have not made that connection between heart and head, would you help us close that distance? Would you help us connect that so that we are not like the Pharisees, that our hearts are drawn to you? We, we love you, God. We, we, we 
trust our lives and put them in Your hands. And this morning, God, I thank You that we can lead these doors committed again to the story, committed again to the love that You have for us and the grace that You have for us and sharing that message with the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.